0: I love books about investing. It's a topic I could talk about for hours, if allowed. I also started listening to the podcast, Investing by the Books, produced by the Nordic investment banker, Red Eye. The hosts are Eddie Pomgren and Nicholas Savos, and they are great, outstanding. They are both lifelong learners and both love investing books. And that's our topic in this conversation, the best investment books ever written with a host of Investing by the Books. I'm Mark Gandy, and this is CFO Bookshelf. I've only done two shows where I've had on more than one person as a guest, so here is what I'm going to do to get started. On my left, I have... Sure, Eddie Pongen.
1: Uh I work at RedEye. I've been an equity analyst here. I've been working with our editorial department. And uh, now I work as a client manager, working mostly with serial acquirers companies. And uh, with Nicholas, we have the podcast, Investing by the Books. Started uh, summer of 2021.
0: And on my right, I have... Yeah, so Niklas Savos. Uh,
2: I'm... I'm working currently as an equity analyst here at Redeye, uh, focusing on uh, serial acquirers specifically. But I'm I'm interested in everything, uh, every everything investing related, so to speak. So I mean, personally, I I invest in in uh, other companies as well. And uh, yeah, me and Eddie has has had this podcast for a while, and it's uh, super fun. And and uh, yeah, I, I really really love reading books and. It's a, it's a great forum to, to speak to, with authors and, and really ask the questions that, that you ask yourself when you read books.
0: So I want to start out by just saying many years ago, a very young accounting pup was driving around with a KPMG audit team in St. Louis. And one of the green accountants started peppering the partner with investing questions because he had just read the book, Wealth Without Risk by Charles Gibbons. Now, what surprised a very, very young accountant is what he heard back from the partner, because the partner kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So that's when the young man started reading investing books. And by the way, that person is me. So so likewise, I wanted to hear how Eddie and Nicholas started reading investing books, too. So I turned to my right to start with Nicholas. So I mean, for for myself,
2: I'm I'm 33 now, and I think I read my first investing book uh, when I was around 15. It was uh, I, I started with reading some Swedish books, um, and then I got into actually one of, one of the first investing books I read was uh, The Intelligent Investor. But but then I was maybe maybe 18, um, and then since since that time, it's been of a been a bit of a start and stop, I have to say. So in in some years i didn't read so many investing books uh, and uh, i think in 2016 i really got off uh, reading a lot so then i started to read like i think i read 50 books that year and, and since i've been at around 30 to 50 books every year um so it's it's just um i think life comes in between sometimes so i mean i i started my career and and then uh, I felt that I, I didn't have too much time reading. But but uh, since 2016, I, it's it's uh, really one of the pleasures of life for me.
0: Can I be nosy real yes. quickly, Nicholas? Of those 50, of those thirty to to fifty books, are maybe half investment books, a fourth? Uh, kind of what's the the mixed in the, in that? In I mean, that, it's a great
2: question. That. I think it's a matter of how how do you what you view as an investing book. I think if you if you include books uh, about business in general, I think it's definitely 60-70% of them is probably investing books. Um biographies is quite I mean one of the categories I like the most, but then I also read uh, biology and psychology and and, uh, and so on, but not so much fiction actually. I mean uh, maybe a few books every year.
0: And Eddie, how about you?
1: I've always been into books. I grew up with books. My family has, everyone has been working with, with books in one way or another, producing, writing, illustrating. So that really comes naturally for me. And then when I started investing, that was probably when I turned around 18. Uh, came from my, my grandma after she had passed and she had that interest. And there was something that intrigued me to to go deeper into that. And of course, reading was like a a good way to find knowledge uh, as I have done before in other subjects. But it was also, of course, a lot of fiction in my reading. And that is something that I unfortunately dropped when I started studying. Then it was more reading uh, nonfiction and, of course, focusing on on reading the the books of uh, finance studies, which I kind of regret now. I should have spent more time reading uh, more valuable books. But that's something I have kept up with uh, over the last couple of years. And uh, our CEO at Rada he's reading a lot and he has uh, inspired me to, to read more.
0: And now you have a podcast focus on investment books. When I started this show, the first thing I did was I created a list of 100 people I would like to interview. And I've gone through a majority of that list. I'm assuming you two have done... The same thing. Do you have a hard time narrowing down who's who's? This is who I'm going to interview. How, how, is that a hard process
1: or is it easy? It's a good question. I mean, we started kind of in the same way. Invest, Investing by the books has been a website since uh, 2012. I think you can correct me, Nicholas. But uh, so, I mean, they have done book reviews for more than 10 years. And they had some connections. So we it was quite natural for us to start that way. And, and Niklas, you have been writing since 2017 for InvestingByTheBooks.com. So that was uh, very good for us. But then, of course, we also started listing books, uh, both that we have read and that we were curious of reading. And I mean, we have been building this book document. Uh, and Now it's passing 900 titles and all of them are not investing books per se, of course. But Uh, we think in one way or another they can help us as an investor so it's of course not easy to choose and i think we need to now we did now we have done about 40 episodes and quite many of them have actually just happened because we we read some book uh, someone recommended some person or a book to us and we stumble upon something and then we're oh we're interested in this we should do an episode about this and then then it, it happens so Actually, less planning than I than I thought it would be because I I really like to do the strategies. I think. What do you say, Nicholas?
2: I'm more more of the kind that don't don't plan so much. Um, I think I mean the ideal situation is that you read something that that gets you really intrigued and you have all these questions naturally to the author and then then you try to to fetch them and and interview interview them. So I think that's the that's the best way for me. I'm not, I, I, of course, I I mean, to plan in some aspects is is good, but I think that process, the natural process is, is preferred for me.
1: But, but I guess uh, for you, Mark, I mean, you've done more than 140 episodes. I guess you have, uh, because we have noticed that now authors and uh, suggestions come to us a bit more at least. So so that makes it, makes it easier in As, one way.
0: I was going to say, I get requests every single week, And having to now say no a lot. One thing I do want to suggest to you two, you guys, you guys are smart. You guys are humble. You guys are very authentic. And something you said, Nicholas, is prompting this idea. I'm assuming there are local TEDx events. I don't know how that process works. But I can see you two doing a local TEDx, nine minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, Maybe three reasons why every kid under the age of eighteen should read at least one investment book while they're still in high school. I think that would be a great topic. I don't know if that's ever been talked about before. As I look back, I can't change the past. I wish I'd have been given an investment book when I was in high school. I would have eaten it up. And again, just a suggestion. And you brought that up. You, I think you said you read your first. Investment book, Nicholas, senior teens, again, great ideas. So, Eddie and Nicholas, I just think you two could knock it out of the ballpark if you did a topic on that sometime. Well, let's put a pin in this. We'll come back to your podcast because I, I we're going to plug the heck out of it uh, when we wrap up. So, I want to I want to turn our focus to investment books, and I just want to make one quick comment. And I and I got to be careful here because I could talk about this all day. So I'll try to keep this lesson 60 seconds. I am a financial guy. I've been working in corporate finance for nearly 30 years, and I love it. I would say the greatest education I've read, besides street smarts and working with some really smart people, is reading a lot of investment books early in my career. And those investment books led me... And I don't know if you, you guys may be too young for this, but in my 30s, I had close to a 1,000 annual reports in my basement. I didn't read them all, but i perused peruse through them. And you don't, you don't go through that process and not be impacted. So I just want to say the power of investment books can have a, a profound impact on one's professional career. So I just want to say why this is, to me, a very, very important topic
2: not just only investing books, I think reading in general is really important. And I think everybody should read what they are interested in, in. And I think our our work in the podcast is, of course, we would like people to who are not interested in investing to get interested in investing. But it's also maybe more to get the people who are already interested in investing to see the value that you can get from books, because every person are not like natural readers. And I think podcast is a great step towards reading more. Uh, So I I think when we interview someone, the the next step should naturally be that that you buy the book if you're interested in the subject. So I think, I mean, that's more or less the focus we have, I think. Do you agree, Eddie? Yeah, definitely.
1: And having talked to all these authors, having read the books and even been part of the process of of, uh, writing and and the editing and we know how much work there is behind every book there's so many hours that goes into it both from the authors and other people involved in the the process so i mean we really admire that and the that the reason why we like it is because of it's such a high quality usually so we know that books have stood the test of time it's a it's a format that has been there for for a long time and of course now it's more digital and audio versions and so on but in our view uh, books are still like trumping most other content and we think that it will persist of course you can complement with other other sources sources as well but
0: i'm holding in my hand i'm holding in my hand benjamin graham this is the third edition of the intelligent investor now mine is night mine is 1965 it's 1965 and there's a signature in it, 1965. Wow. Benjamin Graham. Benjamin Graham. Now, I, I just ho- showed to you the seventh edition here. <laughs> the seventh edition. <laughs> the reason I'm holding this book up, am I allowed to say something blasphemous? Blasphemous? Did I get that word right? It may be sacrilegious, what I'm about to say. Anytime investment books come up, the book Security Analysis by Graham and Dodd, or The Intelligent Investor by just only Benjamin Graham. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of either of those two books. Does that mean there's something wrong with me, Eddie or Nicholas?
2: No, I don't think so. I I mean, I think though that um, maybe what what many readers of those books miss is that they are written, I mean, for such a long time ago. And I mean, a lot of the books is about presenting like formulas for for how to invest yes which may not stand the test of time and, and maybe has not stood the test of time uh, but but i think if you i mean if you read for example the intelligent investor from another angle and i think we'll get more into that like the the philosophy and the the concept of 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 mr market and uh, and the margin of safety and and so on i think i mean a lot of newer investment books has built on those concepts. And, and that is maybe the key for me.
0: Great uh, point. Great and, point.
1: So if they would have been written like this year, they would not have been the same way, I guess.
2: No, I don't think so. And I think uh, if Benjamin Graham was to be alive now, I don't think he would write this book. I think he, he would probably do do something that's more profound for, for this day and age. Because they worked very well at the time. And when you
1: read the history of how inefficient the market <laughs> the markets were, I mean, of course, it was a good way to approach them, to find value in that sense.
0: In post-production, we may hear some music, just a drum roll or something, uh, the top 10. So you knew I was going to ask you about your, your favorite investment books. How do you all want to do this? We've not rehearsed this. Do you want to do each of your lists? Do you have a combined list? So I think we
2: we have a bit of a combined list. and um, uh, That's fine. But I have a... I have a structure where I will start with uh, just describing what I think is needed for investors and then fit the book to that concept more or less. So, I mean, if you just ask us about the books, then then we can go on. Yeah. Jump right in. Okay. So I- instead of starting maybe with the with the book, I, I just want to say that, uh, I mean, I've been thinking about this in terms of what, what's needed for an investor and then I fit the book into that concept. So I think I mean, if we start with the f- first first book, so, I mean, many talk about investing being both an art and a science, but I think many miss that it's also a craft. And I think Peter Lynch tells this best in, in his books, uh, One Up on Wall Street and, and Beating the Street. I mean, both of them are, are really, I mean, light reads, I think. And uh, it gets you going about investing in general, I think. I mean, it he, he really tells a, a passionate story about how the work is as an, as a fund manager or as an investor. So, I mean, it's about being attentive to, to new trends, to, to speak with a lot of people, to read a lot and, and so on. So I think, um, I mean, if you do all that work in the end, you may achieve an edge on something and, and then you should really bet on that. And we will come to, I mean, how you should bet on that when we, when we talk about Buffett and, and Munger lately. Uh, but, but I think, um, I think too many people in general discard Lynch's advice as really I mean buy what you know and just if you like something if you like like a product from a company then then buy the stock and everything will be fine. I don't think he says that really. I mean he says that you should know the the companies which you which I mean if if you buy the stock in a company you should know the products, you should understand them, but it's not it's not just go buy them. He's also I mean into I mean that that the price is important and I think, um, yeah, I think that's something that's, that's missed and something which I think actually, yeah, people, people don't really understand the advice that he, that he gives.
0: Peter Lynch, by the way, is in my top 10 as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And on the, on the topic of like the craft of investing, there are of course, many, many tools you can use in your, in your toolbox and something maybe more for the, for the advanced investor and sophisticated investor and. Maybe not as uh, easy read as uh, Peter Lynch, but if you go into uh, what we think is important here at Radai as well, when you find stocks is that you have a checklist. And that's something that we know that there are many books. We have our own rating here at Radai, which is described in our CEO's book, Quality First Investing. But when I thought about this concept and and the perhaps most extensive classic on, on this uh topic, I think it's Michael Shern's book, The Investment Checklist. Uh, this he presents like a really big framework. It's both qualitative and quantitative, and this really serves as a reminder of what is essential and it helps you to not overlook these important aspects. And uh, I mean, of course, you shouldn't be stuck with a checklist. That's a risk, of course, that you just focus on this and you forget other things or you put too much emphasis on this. You we think you need to be flexible, you need to understand which are the most important questions in this case and which are most important in that case. So then we come back to this uh, art part of investing, but uh, making those judgment calls, uh, it's it's tough and it requires experience.
0: As much as I appreciate the, the, the construct or the idea of art, to me that checklist addresses the sin of omission because the checklist can help us to maybe think about something that otherwise we might just miss or ignore so i don't think that gets in the way of the art part of investing so again your comment is is brilliant and by the way great great selection excellent book okay what's next we'll be right back hey you yeah you listening do you like personal finance or real estate Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage
2: Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two
0: episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast.
2: (laughs) So, I mean, I talked about price with with Peter Lynch, uh, that uh, maybe people don't really understand that, I mean, he actually says that that price is important. And I think, for me, I think the concept of, of having a margin of safety has been really, really important, thinking about, I mean... Uh, if if the value is is higher than than the price and, and how to think about that. So I told you before that the intelligent investor was one of my, yeah, I I showed it to you and and I mean it's one of, one of the first books I read and I think um, the concept of of margin of safety and also Mister Market in that book really drives home the the point for me in a in a great way and I I, I also want to emphasize that I've read the seventh edition where the brilliant jason Swag has uh, added his comments and and really made it a lighter read in my view i think he really in in each chapter he summarizes the concepts in a great way i think uh, so i mean just to just to mention the mr market analogy it's it's really about how to use the market to your advantage i think people get swayed by the market moves instead of thinking about it as the market can sometimes offer you a bargain and sometimes it will be just uh, offer you a, a price that is yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't even get close. And I think you should use it and not get swayed. And that's the hard part. And uh, I think uh, yeah, I think in a way Graham really helps you understand why you should think about the market in that way. And I think uh, yeah, I, I think I haven't read anything that's better better in that. And uh yeah, we can get into later about having a checklist and so on, how you should really act on it as an investor. I think maybe not checking stock prices every other minute is is one great way of doing it. And uh, thinking about it as a business owner and not as a, yeah, just a blips on a screen. And uh, the other is, of course, the margin of safety, which I mentioned in terms of valuation that, I mean, you shouldn't, if you find something that's a great company, but it's fairly valued, i mean it it will by definition give give you a market market return but if you if you find something that's that's really discounted it could be because mr market is uh is isn't a bad mood that that a pessimistic mood then uh, then you have the chance as an investor to really uh do a, do a great investment and I think this that's what what this is all about, so I think that's what what's makes
1: it so important for me, yeah I mean we speak about understanding. Mr. Market. And on the other side of Mr. Market is yourself. And then you can think about what is Mr. Market doing wrong. And that is usually being over emotional in one way or another. And if you can avoid being that, you should have have an advantage. And we will we will come to that later in this discussion as well. But I think it's, it's always interesting to think about it from that angle. Like someone is really angry with you. Should you fight back or should you be calm in the situation and just uh, think clearly? I think it's pretty similar
0: what's next on your list
1: yeah i would like to continue a bit on the Please. understanding of the market um to me when i started reading i didn't mention before but but history has always been of great uh, interest for me and uh, of course financial history is very very interesting uh, as well and uh, that can also help you understand the market of course we know that it's it's never going to be the same as it as it has been there will always be something new but just to know that something has happened before, it will give you another dimension in your thinking. Uh, Because we have only been living for a couple of decades and I mean, so much more has happened. So one title that I think is uh, not very well known, but it's interesting is uh, Once in Golconda uh, by John Brooks. And um, he has also written two other books that are more famous, Business Adventures that we talked about in the podcast, and The Go-Go Years. And uh, they are also great, but uh, once in Golconda, it it really covers the development of Wall Street from the First World War to the Second, and when New York overtook London's position as the world's principal money center. So my key takeaway from this one is how bad things can get and how many unbelievable things that actually has happened. And we often hear that we need to be prepared for anything, and but sometimes the real world stories are are valuable to remember. I think so. Just one crazy example from that is when the war broke up out in nineteen fourteen. I mean, the the stocks were uh, like they were decreasing so much it was sickening, and uh, the New York Stock Exchange actually closed for nearly nine months. Nine Wall months. Into this I did
0: not know that. Nine no. months.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated as well. I, I I mean, Buffett usually talks about you should like hold stocks because the market might close down, but. It has been closed down at several locations. And uh, this one was very long, uh, nine months. And uh, I mean, Wall Street at the time was like a ghost town. There were a handful of outlaw brokers, as they were called. They were trading outdoors, uh, some securities at panic prices. And I I can just see this in front of me. I mean, it makes you a bit scared uh, and you shouldn't be too scared because we know that there have been many crises since then. And usually they have kept the market open and so on. But just think about what you own in your portfolio. And if you're ready to hold it through thick and thin.
2: And there are a lot of stories
1: in there, but... Yeah.
2: Nicholas, you were going to jump in? I don't have anything to... to I have nothing to, nothing to add to both, <laughs> uh, Charlie Munger.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we, if we should move on a, bon, a bit to the next topic, otherwise I could take, talk more about uh, the stories from Golconda, but I will. Uh, you, you can read them them yourself. I won't spoil them. One is uh, just about uh, the boss of uh, America's, at the time, second biggest commercial bank. He goes short his own company, uh, quite a huge amount. That is an, another fascinating story. But um, as an investor, you also need to avoid uh, big losses. And uh, to do that, one thing is, of course, to uh, take uh, think about the price, uh, as Nicholas has talked about, and other important and related topics are risk, luck, and probability. And uh, of that, we can read uh, in many books. Uh, Against the Gods was one title that I um uh, we read and, and listened to quite recently again but uh nasim taleb is probably the one that we would like to highlight the exactly. most exactly i mean go
0: on keep going
1: yeah i mean his work is exceptional and the the book that made it most for me was fooled by randomness but it was also the, the first one that i read and the subtitle is the hidden role of chance in life and in markets and i think it's a it's a good description of the book uh it really talks about uh what you need to think about and. uh I mean, my one of my conclusions is about overconfidence. He he comes back to that quite often, and it's really this dangerous character trait that you need to avoid. And it's very very dangerous in life, but also in financial markets. And it makes you arrogant, and you're not thinking about the other views. And uh, it will it will make you put too much at stake. And uh, one thing that we have been discussing is this alternative histories. So that's. Uh, something to always keep in mind, and uh, Tala brings this up that something has happened, but that's not the only outcome that could have happened. There are so many other things that can that can uh, happen, and and I think the one single conda shows you that. But of course, there are things that have never happened that can happen, and this is more commonly called as hindsight bias. But
0: um... we'll be right back. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's small business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around.
2: Yeah, I mean we always try to try try to I mean in retrospect say that of course that was the the way it, it was going to play out, but but as Eddie said I mean that's just one one part of it. Maybe the I mean if you if you look at it at this as a as a probability game you will you will set different probabilities to different outcomes and and uh, of course there will be one single outcome in the end but i mean first of all it's not certain that that outcome was the most likely uh and uh, i mean you should have that with you all the time and and not try to be arrogant about thinking about how why things things played out and and, and so on yeah, and Talab
1: has this extreme example of one person earning $10 million by playing and, and winning Russian roulette. And one person is earning $10 million from his work as a dentist. And, of course, the probability of survival and, and the dependence of uh, randomness is very, very different in these two cases.
0: Exactly. So
1: focus on the process, not the outcome. That's kind of the conclusion from that.
0: Eddie, did I hear you mention Charlie Munger a few minutes ago?
1: I think it was Nicholas when he said he had nothing to comment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've nothing to add. I will gift out during the holiday season. I will period- periodically gift out the Charlie Munger almanac. It's like a big heavy coffee table book, but there's a ton of nuggets in it. Is-, is that a book that you all like and recommend to others?
2: I mean that's that that's the last book that we're gonna talk about today. So it's definitely on our top ten list. And uh, I think I mean it if if Taleb is an like, really an expert in talking about like multidisciplinary thinking and and I think if, if the concept of mental models is really one of the one of the keys, I think, in in, in terms of having different models in your head that could explain different types of, of things more or less. And I think Taleb is is really I mean there are tons of models in from from his books that you can that that are really usable um, but i think in port charlie's almanac it's also really clear what type of of tools or models that that you that you can benefit from having in life and and as an investor and then damn right is of course a good
1: good book on, on munger as well and his life
0: anyone who's going to talk about investment books it's hard not to bring up Buffett. And in a way, we have been talking about Buffett on the edges because he's the one I hear a lot talking about. Now, we know where he got this, but margin of safety, Mr. Market. So I first heard those terms from him, but he'll go back and say, well, I got those from my, my, my teacher. Well, what are your favorite books on or about Buffett, because I know you've read, I I bet you've read easily a dozen books on Buffett. So I'm I'm again I'm being nosy and curious. What are your favorites on or about Buffett? And I
2: mean going back to this uh, that we talked about recently on Poor Charlie's Almanac. I mean the author Peter Kaufman has has added some material. In fr- I mean from doing that book, but it's mostly. work from munger himself in in terms of his speeches and so on and i think that's the what i will what i will uh, talk about here is i mean you should read the buffett shareholder letters i think that's the the key material that you can get uh, from from buffett and and i think for me that's actually i mean it's compiled in a book by by larry cunningham which we have had on, on the podcast before and but I just think that the original shareholder letters, it's just a great education on how to think about businesses, I mean, doing your business analysis. And and I think um, maybe the most important thing from reading him is is actually things, I mean, how to think about businesses that are good versus bad. So, I mean, maybe the most, I, I think the most important thing is actually, I mean, how how to think about businesses to avoid and not maybe those that 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 you should uh, that you should buy um but i also really like the history lesson that you get i mean buffett has been writing these these letters since his partnership days i think he was at the end of the 50s maybe that he that he started i don't know exactly the the year that he started but i think uh, maybe, maybe we will come to that later but also in terms of i mean finding the great businesses the franchise businesses that he calls them which uh, sustainable competitive advantages. And uh yeah, he, he the examples he gives with businesses that he has looked at and bought or avoided to buy, it's just uh I think it's just the perfect education for everyone interested in investing. Yeah, and then of course, I mean the snowball is amazing. It's so detailed,
1: and it, I really love the engaging story uh that Alice Schroeder has written. And of course, I mean Robert Robert Hagstrom, his his work of Buffett is. Like he was the the one who really broke Buffett with the Buffett way. And
2: uh Yeah, you also have the the making of an American capitalist.
0: Yes. Lowenstein. 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 And,
2: but I think yeah I mean I usually that's the book that's highlighted. And I think it's a great book, but I think it's so much about uh, the situation with um Salomon brothers. Uh so it's I mean it's it's really I mean, hitting you in your, in the head in terms of the integrity Buffett shows and so on. And I think it's a, it's a great deep down into how Buffett thinks. But I, I think Snowball, for example, it covers, I mean, the full history of Buffett, more or less. And, and the, the Share of the Letters cover, I mean, all the professional life of, of Berkshire Hathaway and Buffett. So I think, I think for me, that's the better source materials. What are your thoughts, Mark?
0: I was going to say my, I am very, Bias toward Hagstrom. I loved uh, the Buffett way. And I think if you're a student of finance, that is a great, great starting point as well. You mentioned, uh, I think, Roger Lowenstein. Again, phenomenal book. I, I put those, those are two, or you can almost flip a coin. And for me, snowball is like, it's almost like candy uh, for those of us who love reading uh, Buffett. I mean, it's, 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 it's narrative It's story format, and it's his, basically, a biography, and it's. I feel like it's complete. But in terms of just learning the craft, the trade, the art, again, I'm biased toward Hagstrom. I'm a big, big fan uh, of his. But every title you've mentioned, huge, huge thumbs up. Uh, One other question on your top books. If you were recommending... And it may be unfair to say one book, but if you're recommending one, two, maybe th- even three books to someone who's new to investing and it's like they're looking for a place to start, what comes out of your mouth? Either of you two or both.
1: I mean, to me, the most the most important thing by Hard Marks is one book that I would recommend. It's a classic, um, but I I read it quite early on and Hard Marks has been like a legend for me. And I followed his, his memos ever since. And that's one that I would recommend, but it's probably because of my bias of reading it early as well.
2: I mean, I would start with Peter Lynch. It's easy. I mean, easy reads and it gets you, I mean, really understanding what, what this is all about, I think. And then if you're interested in that, I think you, you should dig down into more, I mean, other types of, of sources.
0: We're, We're interviewing you, not the other way around, but Can I answer so I can hear your opinions, your feedback? No, of course. I have, so I have three books, so I couldn't narrow it down to one. Because I have three adult children, it's somewhat fresh in my mind. It wasn't too long ago. All three of them were in high school. All three kids, two boys and a girl, they have all read Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam. Phenomenal story, outstanding story, feel-good story. School teacher who becomes a millionaire, uh, him and his wife then go to New Zealand to do work because he's able to. He saved that million dollars through his first 10 or so years in teaching, and and I just think it's a great starting point. The reason I like that book as a starting point is because he gets into a topic I've never heard Peter Lynch get into. And that's the whole concept of allocation. Yes, he's into index funds versus individual stocks, but the whole concept of, of allocation I think is he it's explained to where a five-year-old can understand it. And that would be someone like me with a pea sized brain. So that that's on my short list. Uh, obviously one up on, uh, or excuse me. Yeah. One up on wall street by Peter Lynch. That's one of the first books I read. And I like the way you worded that earlier, Nicholas. It's just easy to understand. and I don't think it's overly simplistic, but it's like, oh, I get this and I can do this on my, I can invest in individual stocks. But the other book I highly recommend, and I can almost say this could be first, and that would be The Little Book That Builds Wealth by Pat Dorsey. And I think Pat wrote that when he was with Morningstar. It's not that thick. And he is a big uh, disciple and acolyte of Buffett. And and he brings up moats, margin of safety, uh, durable competitive advantage. So those are my three. Am I off the mark? Am I in the ballpark? Thoughts? Agree,
2: I mean it was it's funny that you mentioned the little book that that builds wealth because that's one of my my top five books.
0: I love um, that book. Actually. I love it. yeah,
2: <laughs> it's a great book and i I think I mean, I talked about Buffett Geraldald the Letters and that Buffett talks about this sustainable competitive advantage, but I think what really got it clicking for me was this book from from Pat Dorsey, and um I think he structures the different types of moats in a great way. I mean, uh, intangible assets, switching costs, network effects, and cost advantages. And uh, I mean, Buffett built a lot of his career on finding businesses with strong brands, but that has lost some of its power, at least in in recent years. And I think investors today, I mean, they must understand network effects, switching costs, and so on. And I I think just, but Doris is probably, for me at least, the the best author in in explaining how all these different, um, modes, um, I mean, how you can think about them and, and classify them in your head in an easy way.
0: I recently, when I say recently, it's been a year. I interviewed guy spear uh, again, just one of the most delightful human beings. You'll, you'll ever me. I have a deep affection for him. We talked for almost three hours. It's like, Guy, you're famous. You're busy. You can't spend three hours with me, uh, but he did. And even we spent about thirty minutes in the green room, just just jamming out on books. And I don't think this came up in the interview. It's not. It's at least not on the recorded interview. We we did two shows, out of it. I was just curious. I, I held up a book. Of course, you can't. You can see this, but. If you're listening to the podcast, you can. I held up this book, and it's by the National Association of Investors Corporation, NAIC. And basically, their charter is teaching investment for investment clubs. But they wrote this little book called The Investor's Manual. It's out of print. And I, I went through this about 10 times, and I, I kid you not, went through it, and it's one of the best books on investment education I've ever been through. Someone needs to write a book like this little manual for individual investors. Have you all come across this book by the NAIC? By the way, when I asked Guy that question, he picks up his book and he shows me his copy. I was shocked. I I thought I was the only one who had this book. Have you all heard of it?
1: I'm not familiar with it, are you, Nicholas? No. When is it from?
0: It's, you know, I don't have the, I can't, in fact, oh gosh, it doesn't even give, this is self-published, so I don't even see a published date, but I wouldn't be surprised.
1: The cover looks like 90s. Uh, I
0: I bought it in the 1990s, it was brand new. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out in the late 80s. If you go to eBay, I bet you can find a copy even if you don't like it, j- just have it in your library. And and anyone listening, he wants to understand how do I how do I analyze an individual equity? This is a great starting point. It's a great starting point. I know Hagstrom does a good job of it, but I think this book is even more fundamental. So it, again, go ahead. It
1: came out 19, 1989. You so were I was, right on
0: target. Okay, I, I was like in late eighties. Because I was thinking about how long they've been around. I think NAIC has been around a little bit uh, longer than, than that. Uh, the other question I have for you, and, and it is a leading question. Uh, another book that I mentioned to Guy that I never hear anyone talk about, and it's one of my all-time favorite investment books. It's not a how-to book, but it's a book by a hedge fund manager and he talked about investing throughout this journey. I call it the Huckleberry Finn on a motorcycle. That's my analogy. But the name of the book is <laughs> Investment Biker Investment Biker by Jim Rogers. Is that book on your radar or have you read it before? I it's it's great. I've heard about it but I haven't I haven't read it. Yeah, same. It's a fun read. Now, it was written back in the 1990s, but I, I, don't, I think it has a long shelf life. I, I don't think timing has anything to do with it, but uh, him and his girlfriend, at the time, they started out in Dublin, and they, they drove on their, uh, I think it's a BMW motorcycles. Uh, they rode around the perimeter of the island, and then they worked their way to the UK, then they get into Europe. Uh, They go down to Africa. I forget when they get to Russia. Obviously, they're going to be on a ship at some points in time. But uh, he talks about how he invested in many, many of the local stock exchanges. So there are some nuggets and gems throughout the book. But it's also just a fun read. And so I think anyone who reads investment books, at some point, read that book. And by the way, guys read it too. So people who love Guy's work, uh, with the the uh, the education of a value investor, he kind of validates the the title too. So j- just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Yeah, because I guess he was looking for quality businesses all around the world.
0: Yes, but I would think the main thing is he wanted to have a good time. He wanted to see the world, and he thought, oh, I guess I better write about this, and I'm so glad. Uh, he did. He went on a similar trip a few years later. I actually started reading his second book and then I quit. I just thought, no, you you, you could stop at the first book. Don't, 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 don't do a do over. I think he invested just because, you know, he had the, he, 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 carried a money belt with him the whole time. And so again, he'd go to every local exchange and buy, but he really didn't get into individual businesses. Uh, he did talk about each country. Uh, he, he, spent a little bit of time talking about the history of some of these, these nations he traveled to. And I thought that economics talk uh, and some of these travels. Excellent. Just, just excellent. I, I apologize. We got off on a tangent, but I, I was curious that that book was on your all's, all, your all's radar. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. And to continue on the track of the little book that builds wealth. I mean, we we talked about finding really good companies that can survive for a long time. and. Uh, when I was hearing about this uh, bike journey then I thought instantly okay then you could find some some good companies during that trip but of course you can also travel just for, for leisure but uh, I think it's good to always have that in mind Wh- wherever you go I mean it comes back to the Peter Lynch approach you just like have you keep your eyes open you see a car driving by with a some company logo oh what is that and it's part of this group and what is that and you're this curiosity and you someone serves you a good um uh, like a good product or anything and you you're curious to find that out and one book that i would highlight in, in this regard of finding quality businesses it's called quality investing it's written by lawrence cunningham and team from AKO capital i think that really helped me to understand like what a great business is and what i like about the book is that they bring up so many examples it's uh it's, it makes it so much more tangible for me when i read it okay there's an example of a company and some of them i already knew like handelsbanken here in sweden a uh, very successful bank for for many 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 years and one case that i still think about is geberit uh, the swiss producer of of sanitary products and systems and they like every time i see one of their toilets or anything i think about oh yeah this this company has been around for like more than 100 years and they have been really uh, really successful And when you find those kind of companies, uh, usually they can be in it for a very long time. And uh, since they make products of high quality, I mean, they become trusted partners and they often get a good reputation among the customers. And with that, they get a strong brand and that enables them to charge a high premium for their products. And and the people in the business, they usually think about the quality and that makes them long-term. Because if you do something good, you want it to last for a long time. So all of this really resonates well with me, like from a personal point of view, because um, yeah, I've always thought that relationships are built on on trust and and care. And yeah, in in the beginning, I mean, when you read like Michael Lewis, all of his great books, you, you become, you can become a bit skeptic to to this world what are all this financial world everyone is just like super short-term focused greedy people and tricking people into buying something they don't even want and yeah so i think quality investing really proved for me that there was this other way and a very honorable way to do business and to hold on to those companies is something that can be very good for your portfolio as well
0: we'll be right back
2: Have you ever heard a new digital trend and thought to yourself, okay, does this really matter? Asking the right questions helps you cut through the noise and get down to what matters most. I'm Jim Hertzfeld, host of the What If So What podcast, where we discover what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real by asking what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? Subscribe and listen, and together we can turn big ideas into tangible actions so you can get shit done.
0: Eddie, you've triggered a question. As I go through my top 10 list, actually, my list is 11 books. I couldn't get it down to 10. As I look at my list, there's a topic that's missing, and I want to know if it's a topic that is in your list. So I have a deep finance background, I have an accounting background, and so I just take it for granted Why do I need any books on how to read financial statements? And by the way, I'm very, very critical of books like that. I find most books boring. Uh, They're very academic and they put me to sleep. Do you have any books on your list on financial statement analysis, how to read financials? Uh, I know one book, uh, Financial Shenanigans. Uh, There's one book, uh, I don't know if it's that book that addresses the quality of earnings, which by the way, is trademarked. But do you have any books that were financial statement analysis presentation or reading of is on your list and should it be?
2: I mean, one of the early books I read was the Interpretation of Financial Statements by Graham. Actually, so it's uh, I mean, a long time ago, and uh, I mean, business has changed since then. But I think a lot of that is still relevant, and it's a short book. It's like I think it's around hundred pages. I think that's a great way to to start. But then I, apart from that, I mean, for me, it's more or less uh, learning by doing. That uh, I mean, you when you when you read financial statements and I mean, really go go through the the details and the notes and so on. I mean, you you, I, I think you you learn it maybe the best way uh, by actually doing it.
0: I work with a lot of CEOs. I work with CEOs every day, and most of them are what I call rapid growth, high growth CEOs. The book I recommend to them, if they're struggling with financial statements, even though we'll walk through them on a regular basis, it's like, if you want to learn more, read Mary Buffett's book. Mary Buffett's book is the interpretation of financial statements. And each chapter is like two pages, three pages. So if you want to understand accruals, there's a little chapter on it. Pre-page or deferred charges, there's a little chapter on it. So every... Thing that you might see in a financial report is going to be in that little book. It's readable, digestible, accessible as well. It's not, it's not overly academic. So
2: it's the same title as the one I mentioned, but, but, uh, written by Mary Buffett. Is that
0: exactly Mary Buffett? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Check it out. Uh, highly. And by the way, I am so confident if you get the book, I, I, this is one of the, uh, G three, that's that's a nickname. One of the G three rules here is if you get the book, read it, and don't like it, I will ten x what you spent for it. So and and, and we'll convert it into U S dollars. So you will email me and say, Mark, I hated this book. I will ten x you through some. We'll figure out how to do that on PayPal or Venmo or whatever. I just want to throw out a couple of a couple of ideas. There's what's now called, if you go to Investopedia, you'll find a concept called the Bill Ackman Paradox. And what the Bill Ackman Paradox is, is that you can be so committed to an idea where you think you're right, it turns out you're wrong. My point being is that experts are not always right. And so, due diligence is really important for all of us in this conversation about investment books.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. I think all of us, I mean, even experts, all of us are humans. So, I mean, all of us have these biases that are rooted in our psy- psyche. And I think that's that's no different with uh, people such as such as Bill Ackman. So, I think, I think having an understanding of that that uh, I mean none of us are superhumans and and i mean we we're all uh, uh susceptible to to these biases i think is is really key
0: the other idea i want to bring up is it's it's recent and again i just want to get your take on it because you work in this industry uh, this happened within the last couple of years uh post pandemic when i say post pandemic this happened in the year 2020 so I guess you could say during the pandemic. I get really close to a lot of the CEOs I work with. It's just the nature of the work. I mean, we talk about everything. We don't just talk about business. And, and this one client, he, he happens, to he's a reader. He loves the show. And I was talking about investing books. And he's really gotten into investing. And because he's a business owner, he has a lot of disposable income. He made some large investments in 2020, and I saw where this is going because I had a really good year. in 20- Well, what idiot? <laughs> any chimpanzee could have made money. Uh, I want to say after, if you made some big investments in maybe May, June, any chimpanzee could have made a lot of money. Well, guess what? His capital gains right after 2020 were close to $1 million. And I was so angry. I was so angry. Because when I was a lot younger, two of my first trades, I made good money. I, I don't mind saying it's been I think the statute of limitations are over. I made a lot of money on Dick Sporting Goods. And I made a lot of money on Patterson Dental because I did my homework. I did a ton of homework. And there's even some sub stories to those two investments some 20 years ago. And the problem is, is when you make money in your first or second trades, you think you're invincible. Can you, I know we don't have a lot of time left. Can you expand on that concept just a little bit? Because one of my maxims is you'll probably make money in your first trade, but beware.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, Uh, The earlier you lose money, I think it's better, of course.
2: And I think it's related to, I mean, what Eddie spoke about before with uh, Taleb that, I mean, many in this industry are are really overconfident. And I mean, what Taleb mentions in my favorite Taleb book, which is The Black Swan, is that, I mean, it's like um, you you think you know what you're doing until you get wiped out. And I I mean, in this industry, if you're reckless, if you're overconfident you may end up with with zero on your account. And that's just, I mean, the the nature of this business is actually to stay alive, I think. So I think that's the first rule. I mean, don't lose money. And the second rule is, is also don't lose money. Yeah, and that's something both Taleb and, and of course, uh, Howard
1: Marks, and and many others have touched upon the the part and Mobosa, not least have been to differentiate between skill and luck in this very, very, very competitive environment. It's of course, A lot of of skill involved, involved, but of course, a lot of luck. And if you don't think about that, then yeah, I think that everything that is going well is because of you. And when it goes against you, it's bad luck that then you won't be an investor for very long, I think.
0: I hope I'm not being self-serving. Can I bring up one more book, please? Sure. We talked about books to give to someone who's new to investing. This book is not in my top 10. Because it's dense reading, but it is rich. It's foundational. It's a book of wisdom. The name of the book is "A Random Walk Down Wall Street." Is that also a book that's high on your lists, either of you?
2: I think it's a great book. I read it uh, twice. I think um, it's not on my top ten, but it's not uh, it's not far off.
0: I believe you have two more books,
2: right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about business. We talked about valuations. We talked about randomness and luck and, and many aspects. We, we still haven't talked that much about the people aspect. And one book that is definitely on the top 10 and that we have covered in the podcast is William Thorndike's The Outsiders. And I mean, how can it not matter? That's That's my question. What are the incentives of these people that are running the show? How do they treat their employees, their customers, their suppliers, and uh, maybe most importantly, how do they allocate the capital of the company? So thinking about which people are at the helm—I mean, that's that's very important in in my in my view at least—and uh, then the outsiders of William Thorndike is definitely one of the best books uh, of that. I think he has talked to and uh, interviewed everyone around these eight top CEOs that he he has. He is considering us outsiders. They are doing things uh, not in the conventional way, so to say.
0: Can, can I just say that if I were to recommend, if someone's never read a business book, I'd say read this book, The Outsiders. It is exceptional. By the way, we mentioned Bill Ackman. He, he loves this book. But were, were you going to say something about The Outsiders, Nicholas, as well? We'll be right back.
1: You may know that you can achieve success by finding someone performing at the level you want to and just do what they're doing. What if you want to get into business and create real wealth for yourself and your family? The franchise might be exactly right for you. Listen to the Franchise You podcast, where every episode has a different franchise success story with each person sharing their unique personal history and valuable business practices. Who knows? You might discover your pathway to success on our next episode of Franchise You.
2: No, it's one of my favorite as well. And I think, uh, I mean, I think many businesses would benefit from, I mean, having a leader with that approach to really, I mean, that really focuses always on creating shareholder value. And I mean, uh, not on building an empire, but actually every every decision they take should be focused on on uh, grabbing the, the most long-term value as possible for the business. And I think, uh, I mean, even though Thorndike wrote this book, I don't think that's appreciated enough in the industry.
1: Yeah, and many investors, they focus too much on, on the products or on the new technology or the new market that's going to blow everything away. But if they are not going to do anything good with the money, if they get any money, I mean, then it doesn't matter. So capital allocation is a bit underrated in that sense.
0: And then you have one more book left, right? Yeah. And this is the favorite.
2: I mentioned it <laughs> before. It's the Port charlie's Almanac. Um, I think. Everything we have talked about today, I mean, all the books we've talked about are really important. But I think if you miss what, uh, what Charlie mentions in his speeches, I mean, then, then I think you may fail anyway. So I think, um, for example, I mentioned the intelligent investor and, and the concept of, of a, the Mr. Market and that that explains how, how the market is a manic depressive actor with huge mood swings. But I think, uh, I mean, you really need to, uh, as I said in that when I when I discussed that book, you you need to stay calm even when others panic. And I think, uh, Poor Charles Almanac, like it, it's a compil- compilation of all the the major speeches that that Munger has has done. And my favorites are the Psychology of Human Misjudgment, where he uh, talks about I think it's twenty eight different uh, uh, biases that that they uh, that humans have. And I mean, what's interesting here is that Munger, he he wrote that speech in I think it was 95. And at that time, we didn't have the the, for example, uh, thinking fast and slow by by Kahneman and Tversky. And I mean, I, I think Munger was quite early here, we had, for example, Bob Cialdini's book, influence, but i mean there was not so much written on the on the subject and i think usually we hear that practitioners are the ones really coming up with things and then we have theoret i mean theoretics uh, actually writing about them and i think this is just what has happened here that that munger really thought about all these concepts and and uh and brought a speech about it and i mean he 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 said that for example cialdini uh, influenced him in, in in writing that speech and and gave him a few new ideas on 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 biases but actually he came up with a lot himself i mean really being curious about people and, and businesses and so on so i think that's a key and then the speeches on uh, on worldly wisdom is also i mean really one of the best speeches i've i've ever i've ever read and i think to have this, I mean, this is one piece of our podcast also that I mean, we want to highlight the benefits of having uh, a multidisciplinary thing thinking in in uh, in everything you do. I mean, to to become a better investor, but as well a better person. So I think reading books uh, on other subjects may lead you to to come up with uh, I mean, new innovative ideas on on how to think about things in in investing and life. And in the podcast,
1: Investing by the Books that we have, I mean, we have tried to have titles that are about, for example, mentorship. We talked about history, entrepreneurship, psychology, even spiritualism. We talked about wealth, health, and uh, also one book on forecasting. And some of those we realized when when we speak to an author that is an expert in, in their field. Uh, but they know nothing about investing. That can be a bit tricky because it's hard to make the connection. I mean, we can make the connection and hopefully the listeners can make the connections. Uh, But it's usually better for us to speak with an investor who really likes such a book uh, on a different topic, because then we can have a, a discussion about our field of application. So to say,
0: let's talk about your podcast. I wrote down the next five shows I'm going to listen to. They're not in sequential order. They're kind of all over the place. And you're going to tell me, did I pick five good ones? I've already listened to several shows, but here's what's coming up next. Derek, is it Liddow? Lido, the entrepreneurs? Lido, I think. That's actually the next one. And I may be listening to it as early as tomorrow. Uh, Of course, I consider Adam Mead a friend. Uh, We had him on, I think the month his book came out. Uh, the Complete Financial History of Berkshire Hathaway. I'll be curious to know the angle that you all took uh, with that conversation. Uh, that is a book that will be here forever. And I hope he will continue to update that book. Uh, the Five Keys.
1: Yeah, if you listen to to the episode, he might give you some clues about when the next update comes out.
0: Got it. And by the way, just I, I like Adam. And it may be through Adam that I heard about uh, you two because I follow him on, on Twitter. Uh, Dennis Jean Jocks, if I said that correctly. Is it Jocks or Jax? How, what's the French pronunciation? Oh, J- Jean-Jacques, okay. I think. Okay. The Five Keys to Investing, I'm going to listen to that third. And then Patrick Whalen, if I got that right, on Business Adventures, which we've talked about. And then I am going to be hunting down Christopher Mayer uh, I really do. Uh, his hunter baggers is on my top 10 list. And I read it. A, I think I read it bef- right before I read the education of a value investor. So I, I want to listen to, to him because I do want to get him on the show, uh, in 2023. So those are my next five. Did, did I pick five good shows?
2: In our view, any show you pick would be a good good match, but I think those five are definitely great. <laughs> we are not biased at all.
0: <laughs> I had to ask the, I, I, I had to ask just I want to hear the response. Um, but it, it's hard
2: when uh, we don't know which one you listen to. But...
0: The, I mean
2: I mean to be to be to be really frank here and, and uh, I mean it's about it's the same concept on, on how you recommend books to people. I think sometimes you're in need to read a certain book i mean maybe your curiosity is is really on that or yeah usually it's curiosity i think but if also i think in my view maybe not in in an investing sense but going a bit broader in life sense for me books can be like a sort of medicine as well if you if you need something if i mean instead of going to a psychologist you can read a book for example that helps for me if if, if i have any prob- problem in life or or so on i mean to read philosophy for example so i, I think the same in a way goes for I mean how to pick investing books that if you feel that you miss one tool in your toolbox, then then try to try to find a book that could help you with that. So I think it in my view, the same goes for podcast. If you should really get something from a podcast, listen to to a podcast that that you think could help you at that time. So um, I mean, I would recommend that you probably read a bit on on uh, the different uh, guests we have what what, uh, what are they about? and is there something clicking there and then choose the the shows from
0: that? Well, what you just said applies to me because when I listen, I go buy the book. If I don't have it, it's it's working. and and this two of the titles that I, that I did not have the books, I've already bought the books even in advance. So you guys are stroking my intellectual curiosity, although it's feeble. But it's it's working. And, again, I love the show. I like your approach, the way you do it. I think both you two are great interviewers. And I think you're both you – know, you two are so passionately curious, which is what, what to me, is kind of one of the, the secret sauces of the show. So, again, I really like it. And I'm assuming it's on every platform, Spotify, Apple – and like a gazillion others, correct? Correct, yes.
1: Even Amazon, yes.
0: And, and Amazon. Uh, and I've even been starting to listen to more shows through Audible since I have a, an account through them. And I haven't checked to see if your show is available on, on Audible. Most hosting services automatically will send it to a lot of these platforms that we don't even know about. So I need to check to see if yours is on on, on Audible, and I bet it is. It is
1: on- yeah, it is on Audible, but you kind of have to apply yourself to get it into the Audible platform. Got so it. it's not that is not automatic, I think.
0: Uh, and again, the website is is
1: yeah. The, it's there is also investingbythebooks.com. dot But maybe you want to say a few words about Nicholas. I mean, we mentioned the the website already, but
2: yeah, I mean, we're we're doing this partly in cooperation with investingbythebooks.com, dot com, where I started writing in two thousand seventeen, as Eddie mentioned before. Uh, but as actually for the podcast, the the site is um is uh, Redeye.se and then we have a link to, to the podcast on the website.
0: Do you want to mention anything about Redeye?
1: Yeah, I can say a few words. I mean Redeye is a Swedish
0: investment bank.
1: Uh we have been operating since nineteen ninety-nine. We're based here in, in Stockholm and we are focusing on Nordic companies in, in tech and life science primarily, and then we are targeting a global audience of investors, because we think that the Nordic region has been really entrepreneurial and innovative when it comes to both technology and life sciences. So there are many interesting companies here. There are many smaller companies. And we think that we are already seeing that there is a lot of international interest for for these type of businesses. We are about 80 employees here at the headquarter, and we have a full range service with all kinds of Uh, company. We're doing many company transactions and we have uh, our advisory part also doing uh, equity capital markets, for example. And we we have our analyst department with about 30 analysts, of which uh, Niklas is one.
0: And what do you do there?
1: Yes, I'm a client manager. And so I'm in contact with companies uh, that wants to have our research coverage and uh, also do events here and uh, any other type of service that companies are interested in. But mostly I'm focusing on the podcast, so I'm uh, doing that with Nicholas on pretty much half of my time.
0: And you need to tell them, thank you very much for letting me steal some of your all's time. I believe it's the afternoon hours where you are, but please tell them thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Mark, for having us on the podcast. It's been great fun talking about uh, investing in all kinds of aspects, and we love books, so this has been very pleasurable.
2: Thank you so much, Mark. It was really fun.
1: You are listening to CFO Bookshelf. Lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandhi. Welcome to Investing by the Books podcast by RedEye. I'm Eddie Pangen, your host. And with me in the studio, I have Niklas Säv-Oas.
0: is the intro to episode number one of Investing by the Books. My recommendation to getting started with this show, go to investingbythebooks.com. There is a link In the navigation area to podcasts, you'll click it. When you do that, scroll to the bottom of the page and click on show number zero. It's an introduction to the show. The link to the episode will take you to redeye.se's site. And they have a video of Eddie and Nicholas being interviewed. It is great. Then listen to the first episode, which is an interview with Sean Ittings, author of Intelligent Fanatics Project, and that's another investing book I love. Then you can start picking the shows you want to listen to next, and that's exactly what I've done, and then I'll eventually be listening to the rest. Something tells me this is only part one of a continuing conversation. Again, Eddie and Nicholas, thank you very much. If you liked this conversation, please, please, please provide a rating as this can influence others before they start listening to a show for the first time. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.